Welcome to Reckoning. My name is Ingrid, and I'm starting this podcast to share open and honest discussions about our experiences with death. I'm hoping that as a culture, we can grow to talk about it without it being feared as a heavy, scary, and overwhelming topic. Let's talk about it more, get a little more comfortable with it, wrestle and wonder and ask questions. Let's reckon with it. We all have to deal with this aspect of life. We will lose everyone we know, and we ourselves will die. So how can we face this reality with eyes more open, with some grace, humility, understanding, and even appreciation? How can we embrace this aspect of being a human and use it as a way to grow, learn, and expand? The goal of this podcast is to turn toward these shared experiences, using our stories and collective wisdom to gain some courage and strength and skill to face it. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to and have these conversations with me. Thanks for being willing to reckon with the topic of death and dying. So we're just going to dive into some questions here. Uh, the first question is, have you lost someone close to you? And what was their relationship to you? I have. Um, I lost my daughter. Um, she was 21 months old when she passed away. And um, that was in 2010. Okay. 2010. It's a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. A long time ago. Sometimes it feels like yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, I bet that's... Uh, I think they say it's one of the most traumatic experiences a human being can go through, is to lose their own child. I can't, can't even imagine. So, she was 21 months old? Yeah. Her name was Skylar. Skylar. She was pretty great. Yeah, what was great about her? Um, she was, uh, of course, everyone's going to say I'm biased because I'm her dad, but she was hands down the cutest baby that's ever existed. <laughs> no, she was just very sweet, and um, she was, while we had her, it was fun getting to know her, and um, she had a great personality, and mm. she had some sass. Yeah, I, I have a nephew who's three, and it's amazing to see how quickly personality develops. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, um, how did Skylar die? So we, um, my wife, Ashley, and I, we, uh, we got married in 2007 and had not really, we were planning on not having children anytime soon. And um, shortly after our one-year anniversary, we found out we were pregnant. Okay. Whoops. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but after a, a month of um, shock and freaking out, we decided that um, we were just going to roll with it. 
Um, we took home from the hospital a beautiful baby girl, mm-hmm. healthy, and um, we went home. And a couple weeks in, noticed some some funky things that probably shouldn't be happening. She had this mm-hmm. really what we thought was just adorable at the time. Um, she she a she was just very chill. I mean, she cried like babies do, but mm-hmm. generally speaking, it was just very very easy infant to take care of, mm-hmm. and um, she didn't make a ton of noise and. Um, she started doing these things with her arms. Um, she had this little, like, one arm would just kind of, like, not do much, and the other one kind of, like, chicken wing. Mm-hmm. We called it a little chicken wing, and it would just kind of, like, gradually rise up a little bit. Maybe, mm-hmm. like, push it down, and it just, like, gradually rise back up again. Like, that's not quite right. So we mm-hmm. asked our pediatrician, and they started kind of trying to figure it out. And it didn't take very long to start seeing some other symptoms to realize that, that she probably had this neuro- neuromuscular condition called SMA, spinal muscular atrophy. And, you know, some genetics testing and, you know, a month later, we definitely confirmed that that diagnosis. Mm. And we were told that it's basically Lou Gehrig's for, uh, for babies. Mm. And it's a, um, basically degeneration of motor nerves and all voluntary muscles. And so, you know, basically the healthiest she is the day she was born and she gradually deteriorate. Mm. Uh, we were told we'd lucky, be lucky to see her first birthday. Mm. And so that's pretty tragic for new parents with a firstborn. And so basically spent the time we had with her. Um, she actually ended up living quite a bit longer than was expected. Um, we spent, you know, like I said, 21 months with her, just getting to know her and cherishing the time we had with her and everything from trying to like create special memories with her, knowing that our time with her was limited to just doing the very mundane, normal but wonderful things of being a parent to mm. an infant and a you know, toddler. Mm. It sounds like that would be so um, uh, difficult, I guess, for lack of a better word, but, you know, to hold both your grief and the joy at the same time. She wasn't gone yet, but, she, but you're grieving knowing that, like, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to end. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot that I don't know. I just remember us, my Ash and I having lots of conversations about how thankful we were that we had the luxury to plan. I mean, mm-hmm. even before she passed away, just saying, like, realizing how difficult it is to plan to lose somebody, especially a kid. I mean, there's no real like instruction manual on how to go about the death and dying process of your child, especially a toddler. Mm-hmm. So, and we got some really good advice from some doctors. Uh, as well, just to say, like, plan this at a time because when the time comes to make these these decisions, they're very very hard decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, decisions like when you know somebody has a condition, how long do you sustain life? And you know, as her parents or guardians, like we we have to make that decision for her, and that decision is as parents our decision to make for her. And it's you know, there's not necessarily a right or wrong, but it's a tough decision. Mm-hmm. You know, do you let nature, in a sense, take its course? Do you intervene with technology? And if so, how much? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, it's hard and devastating to have a prolonged goodbye and watch someone potentially physically suffering and, you know, being witness to that over a long period of time and being mm-hmm. a caretaker can be a really difficult. But then, just as you say, it's also really things get really raw and things get really 
honest and vulnerable. And so, again, to be in that space for that time with your daughter, it's incredible that you took that with such intentionality and and focus and love and really, but I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I think too, like, you know, we, we had that time to like have those conversations, but then still your kid and mm-hmm. there's still like, at, at the end, like, I don't know, at the end of most days, like we, when she was stable and we were like not in between these like kind of, you know, periods of regression. Like for example, when she was three months, she lost her swallow. And so we had to have, lost her ability to swallow. So we had to have, she had to have surgery mm. to basically close off the top of her stomach. Um, and then from that point on, she was fed through a tube. Oh, wow. tube. And, and so that was like, like kind of a big, like step towards that initial, that end, like your body shutting down slowly. And so after that, and after you get used to feeding, get through the tube, it's like, then life kind of resumes as normal. And yeah. when your daughter's comfortable and you're, it's kind of like what, you know, it's her first kid. And mm-hmm. so like, I don't know, there were a lot of days where we didn't think a ton about her dying. Um, it was just like, we had Skylar and there were all the things to do that any parent would do, raising their child and mm-hmm. keeping them happy and comfortable and taking care of them and making sure they're not crying and <laughs> like, so yeah, um, there's plenty of things like, I don't want to call them distractions. It's just life. It's just like normal life, I guess. Right. It, it was our normal life. Right. 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 So. Right. And you mentioned that there weren't a lot of resources for young parents dealing with an infant you know, that's like dying from a genetic disease or just any, any part of that, that process of losing a child. But were there any particular conversations or writings or any, anything that stuck out as helpful during that time or even if it was just with people that you know? Some of the things that were definitely like guided us a lot. Like I've been a long time Wendell Berry reader mm. and he has some stories that are, I think have been really influential about just fidelity throughout people's lives, throughout a community, like your involvement with the community. And he has some amazing stories. Um, he has a short story called Fidelity that is um, an amazing story about a community taking care of one of their own in their base of their dying days. And, mm-hmm. and I think that story, without getting the details of it, was very influential. And just like, we should we should like have a hand in this. We should be involved till the end, mm-hmm. literally till the very end. Mm-hmm. The end being not Skylar's death, but like her whole process post-death mm-hmm. of like, where should we, you know, should she be buried and where and, uh, or should we cremate her? Or just like a lot of those things are like, I, we, don't, we don't know, like, what should we do? I think we definitely, definitely came to the opinion that we wanted to be as involved as possible. Yeah. I think where the resources were limited were like, you know, not being able to find out like, what, how like far can we legally go and what's like, because mm-hmm. You know, no one really talks about this kind of stuff. Right. Um, didn't feel like I'd be a good father to her to just hand her over at the end. And I'm not saying that's for everybody, but my own view of that was just like, no, I, I feel like some of the most intimate acts of love that I could provide for my daughter, mm-hmm. these are my last acts of love that I can provide her, mm-hmm. you know, period. So I want to be involved. 
that ended up being things like planning your funeral and mm-hmm. building your casket and mm-hmm. like I wanted to like dig the hole and bury her mm-hmm. myself and wasn't much out there. There weren't they're not people doing that much. Yeah. I think that's changing. But um, so we buried her in a it's called like a it's like a land um I guess it's a land trust or preserve. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people call them green cemeteries in upstate South Carolina, up in the mountains. It's mm-hmm. this really beautiful preserve and natural kind of wooded lot. Mm-hmm. And she's not far off this creek that is really nice. It runs through the woods. And mm-hmm. um, it's just a really nice, peaceful, natural feeling place that seemed better than any other place that we could think of. Yeah. Is there a headstone or is it? Yes. Yeah, so they take, I guess when they're digging a lot of the graves, they'll dig up a lot of stone and they'll use that stone to make headstones. So they have, like, a local stone carver that will carve names and whatever else, dates and whatever else you want on them. Um, and they're laid down flat, so they're not, like, sticking up. So just to kind of simulate a more natural environment. Yeah, that's great. That yeah, sounds, it's a really neat place. Yeah, and from what I know, you know, you both are really connected to nature and the outdoors, and so how lovely to have a space that feels healing or connective to you. Um you know, when you go to visit. Um, yeah, I think somebody could be as comfortable just taking a walk through those woods, not yeah. really knowing anyone that's buried yeah. there. And yeah. It, I don't I don't think it's weird. It feels right. There's this very rightness yeah. to it. And so so how has that received you? You had mentioned wanting to dig, dig your own. Yeah, I think there. as I was like, it really came down to the end. Like the last, you know, couple weeks, like we – found a spot in that preserve to bury her and, and start building a casket and um you know there are certain like legalities involved in like somebody passing away like issuing a death certificate and like the proper people have to do that mm-hmm. and you know bodies have to go before a uh, coroner to like confirm all of the things associated with the death certificate so like I was actually really pleasantly surprised that the funeral home that we worked with was very open and willing to uh, allow us basically like within our legal right, like to do everything we wanted to do. Great. Which is, yeah, they were very kind. And we actually donated Skylar's body to SMA research. Mm. Um, there was a researcher out of Utah that came, flew to Atlanta mm. where we were living at the time. And so they took Skylar and she actually went to the funeral home and like basically conducted some research, um, took tissue samples and a lot of, uh, I'm not sure the specifics of what she did, but, and then when she was done, uh, we were able to pick her up and put her in a casket and take her out to the preserve and bury her. Did that feel, or how did that feel to to contribute to like the research of that disease? Did that feel healing at all to you, or? Yeah, I think like it's just one more thing that like when I think a lot about it, I spend time thinking about it. It just still feels so unfair sometimes, mm-hmm. and so it kind of like counters that unfairness feeling that like um mm-hmm. maybe it gives it like purpose or something i'm not one to like use that language um i'm not one to say like something good will come of this or anything like that like pretty against a lot of that language but it, it does feel like there's some good that came out of it that like yeah. hopefully people in similar situations down the line might benefit from this yeah so, yeah can you dive in a little bit deeper about what you mean when you say you're against that kind of language of there's some good that will come out of it? Because you're not the only person to say that. I mean, potentially it's a, it's a nice thing to expound upon for folks that wouldn't understand why that's not 
Yeah, hopefully. I think a big part of it, a big part of, so we, we live in the South and the South is conservative and there's a lot of faith traditions that there are um, very like sure of certain things mm-hmm. um, that I would say I'm not so sure of. Mm-hmm. Um, ideas that like, we'll see you again in heaven mm-hmm. and um, you know, all things are working for good. And some of these themes and it feels like the worst thing in the world when you lose your daughter mm-hmm. and somebody feels the need to say like, that this is a good thing mm-hmm. is basically like what it comes around mm-hmm. to feeling like. And that's like, that's a terrible thing. It's nothing good. Mm-hmm. Not losing a daughter. It's mm-hmm. terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, at the end of the day, you have, I, I just have to remind yourself that people, most people really do care. And most people are, just don't know what to say. And that's like a, a common thing that maybe they've heard people say at other funerals or whatever I don't really know mm-hmm. where that like actually really comes from but mm-hmm. you just hear it a lot and it's not a good thing to say yeah I I completely agree and I feel like part of part of the reason why it's it's said is just what you're saying it's like a placeholder for like well I want to say something positive because having these conversations is really difficult and so it's uncomfortable and I don't like feeling a uncomfortable and I don't want you to be sad or upset so I'm going to say something that's going to make it all better and then we can just that'll be okay and then we'll all feel better and it'll fix it and you know that's not a conscious thought necessarily but you know I as a culture I think we do that a lot so trying to fix other people's problems you know you you have someone who's having an issue and they're talking about it and you're like well have you tried this or you know what about (laughs) this and it's all well-meaning absolutely well-meaning people care but also I think it stunts our our emotional growth and I, I think it stunts our capacity to have harder conversations and saying things like, I really don't know what to say. I'm shocked and traumatized by this news or I can't imagine and I'm so unbelievably sad and how are you feeling? You know, think like things like that that are a little bit more honest as opposed to trying to placate or yeah. or fix something. So Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry goes a long way. Yeah. Or maybe you just not even say anything at all. Mm-hmm. I think some of the like the most loved I felt mm-hmm. from our friends that walked through that with us, just them sitting with us mm-hmm. in silence. Or like mm-hmm. when we're just like grieving really mm-hmm. intensely to just like be there with us mm-hmm. and love us through that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that hits on a really nice, you know, I guess reminder that like of the ripple effect, you know, that like all of our communities are affected by our personal lives. I think a lot of us tend to feel like we're really insular and, you know, this is me and my family unit over here. Um, but, you know, all, it, we, all, we all affect each other. And Absolutely. and so it's, it's a really nice case for keeping and building intentional communities so that when tragedies do happen, we have folks around and, and that they they are affected too by these by these things. Yeah. It was a very polarizing experience for us in our community. We had mm. a lot we lost a lot of friends. Um, we had a lot of people just disappear. Huh. I think Really? Yeah, I think they didn't know what to do. Uh, and that was wow. just even before before Skyler passed away, like when we needed help, a lot of people and then like a lot of people left and we 
gained a lot of really amazing friends. Mm-hmm. That people that we had never met or heard of before were just like wanted to be there with us and for us and, mm. and just fill the space where it needed to be filled. And yeah, it was, it was interesting, mm. interesting to experience that. Uh, and we still, I mean, we almost still like, not as intensely, but we still, still feel that. Like we're now kind of empty nesters. Like we, mm. because it's a genetic trait, uh, SMA, like we can't have, we can't really risk having children again. And so, um, so we won't. And so we, we feel like empty nesters and yeah. it's funny to see like who we spend most of our time with now without really been thinking about it. Our friends are either significantly younger than us and um, either couple young couples or singles or they're like older true like older empty nesters mm. we have really good friends that are both mm. we don't have a ton of friends who are our age with kids mm. and I think that's that's fine um, you kind of find your crew in life and you find the people that are in similar places in life but it's funny to be 34 and have really close friends that are 22 and mm-hmm. 52 mm-hmm. or 62. <laughs> Do you find that you have a hard time being around toddlers, specifically ones that are Skylar's age when she passed? Is it hard for you to be around? It kids? was, it was after when that when losing Skylar was still extremely raw and we were like in the intense part of grieving it was very hard mm-hmm. it was very hard to be around parents who would complain about their kids obviously yeah and it's funny to look back at that and kind of chuckle because like kids are obnoxious sometimes <laughs> like you can't go through life and not complain about your kids it's like every now and then um, kids are hard. It's hard to raise kids, but we just couldn't be around. We didn't have the space. We really did not have the space, the energy to tolerate that. Mm-hmm. And so we, yeah, we. It was very hard to be around that. Yeah. Um, we had friends that did have kids, and you know, it's a funny blend of it being difficult to be around, but then also really like having a whole new appreciation for. Uh, and joy for our friends as parents and their kids like truly having a level of joy that I'm not sure our friends have Mm -hmm. and just like being thankful for them that their kids are Mm. alive and well and loud and obnoxious and Mm -hmm. screaming and laughing and just being kids so um, nowadays I think it's it's fine I it does at least speaking for myself I think Ashley maybe feels differently sometimes but Speaking for myself, it doesn't bother me anymore. Mm-hmm. I think every now and then I see, I see like a dad um, mm-hmm. and a daughter mm-hmm. who's like nine or ten years old, which is how old Skylar would be. Mm-hmm. It's really hard not to think like what would be mm-hmm. or like where how my life would look different. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure those thoughts are really healthy. I try to, like, suppress those. I'm just not sure that's really... Because life is what it is. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'll have those thoughts, and the more I dwell on the more I tend to, like, go to a darker place. Mm-hmm. So... I hear that. I feel like... I mean, they sound perfectly natural and normal to me. I'm sure I would be thinking those things, and I have even those thoughts about other aspects of my life you know and yeah I feel like that's a fine balance between 
noticing and honoring that's coming up naturally, but then not dwelling or perseverating and getting into, like you say, like a really dark place with it. And I feel like in your particular situation, you're, you and Ashley are dealing with double grief, double loss. Not only did you lose Skylar, but you have learned that you have lost the ability to have children. And so then it's compounded grief, right? It's not just we lost this, but also we lose the capacity to have it ever again. So that sounds extra painful. Yeah, it was, yeah, and we, like, we had those surgeries, I don't know, like, year, like, we both, um, both had the surgeries, kind of, like, to do that together, um, just to say, like, we're in this together, and that was maybe, like, a year or so after, we just, like, wanted to get out of that initial grieving, and, like, you really shouldn't make any drastic decisions in life when you're going through a hard time, so we at least had the sense to be, like, let's just put that off. Mm-hmm. and like really think about it as like what we want to do and we decided like yeah it's, we, it's just too big of a chance to like have another child with SMA we really shouldn't risk that and we love being parents and there's a lot of kids who need adopting that need good parents and so we're, we're choosing to go that route at some point okay and so and we haven't we're not there yet but um who knows maybe someday that's beautiful yeah I love that but yeah it was its own like I mean we were just getting out of the like really intense grieving mm-hmm. with Skylar and then to go through that process, I think we were both shocked at how that hurt. Mm. Um, almost like it wasn't losing a child, but it was losing the idea of having more children or mm-hmm. the actual like ability to have more children. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it felt to a degree like losing a child. so far but there are these threads that appear like no matter what the circumstances of somebody's loss are Mm. and you were talking about like the preparation you know having time to prepare and make decisions like before you lost her and then you know creating space and time afterwards and there's just something really important I think about creating space for for how we deal with death before and during and after that yeah again it's something that I feel like we don't do very well you know for often so many of us it's like it's a big shock and then we're in chaos and confusion while it's happening and then we lose them and it's like this utter grief and then time passes and people are like okay just move on and the preparation piece I think helps us as the grieving happens and then beyond as well you know, so I guess what I'm trying to say is like if you can create space beforehand, absolutely, it helps on the back end as well. Yeah, and obviously yeah. many of us don't have the luxury of that time. Right. And how many right people die in tragic accidents every day? Right. And, right. Absolutely. You know, if we were having these conversations, then we could be, you know, a tragic loss is still a tragic loss. Right. But I think having these conversations ahead of time is absolutely necessary towards that preparation. Right. Yes, ideally, you know, we go through our entire adulthood 
without facing the loss of death until our parents die and they're like in their 90s and you know but that that doesn't happen for most of us right we lose people whether or not they're friends we know or distant relatives or neighbors or whatever the case may be and so I think the preparation on a larger scale like on a life scale you know I think we're afraid to talk about death because it's like morbid and taboo yeah so taboo as an introvert, it's a good way to get clear room if you don't want to be like, <laughs> yeah. drop in one of those conversations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I find it I find it really sad that you were saying I mean, it sounded like there's a silver lining, but I, I found it sad that you're saying that, you know, you lost a lot of friends and that it was somewhat of a polarizing experience for you to go through. Um, and it, again I think that's telling that prepared to deal with these conversations. Um, so I'm curious, having gone through this difficult, tragic experience, how has that changed you? I don't know if you can articulate, like, what you've learned or gained. Um, how many days do we have to talk? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have um, one hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I can't help but change you. It, it's like it's a life step. It's no different than going to college. It's no different mm-hmm. than getting married, having a kid. These are all these like progressions through life that one second you're not a dad, the next second you are a dad, and you're immediately changed. Being a father is like it's it's crazy. It's a, it's like these feelings that you never imagined you'd feel. And and I think losing somebody, losing family members or close friends, gains you that new step in life that new um, perspective that new wisdom it's like it's just another step in the journey of life and and yeah so you do gain new perspective new wisdom I think a big thing is well a couple things so I think anytime you lose something you're you're obviously much better being thankful for what you do have Mm -hmm. and so Losing somebody that's close to you makes you thankful for the other people that are close to you, because um, you don't know when you're going to lose them. So mm-hmm. I think it's pretty like basic. That's not anything groundbreaking. I think anyone can imagine that, but you really know it, like deep inside of you. It's yeah. like lodged in you. There's a difference between intellectually understanding something, yeah, personally feeling the full weight of. Yeah. So I think that's a huge thing. I think the other thing and. I think this comes and goes at phase. I wish it were more present because I definitely felt it in the days and months, even years after losing Skylar's, having a sensitivity to um, not knowing what's going on in people's lives Mm. and where people are at Mm -hmm. and just like having grace for people, maybe when they don't deserve it at times or you just don't really know what's going on in anybody's life. Mm -hmm. Like I should have this funny story of, when we were taking, we were driving Skyler to the preserve in South Carolina. We lived in Atlanta at the time. This was a two-hour drive. And we're driving up there this one morning during the week to go bury our daughter. Mm-hmm. And her body is in a casket in the back of our car. Mm-hmm. And and we stopped at a Chick-fil-A for, like, for <laughs> breakfast because Ashley was hungry. And I would probably, like, hadn't eaten in days. And... And I just remember, I'll never forget, like, going to that Chick-fil-A, and I'm sure we were not, like, the nicest people. Like, we were going to bury our daughter. I'm sure we weren't, like, 
globes of joy and like bright shining lights i'm sure we like looked terrible and probably weren't very nice and darn it those southern chick-fil-a people were so nice to us Mm. and it like it left this like amazing impact on us Mm. that and i'm i'm sure they were just doing their chick-fil-a duties (laughs) of like being good customer service like you know um but it like it meant something to us it made me realize like they obviously didn't know that we were going to bear our daughter, that she was in the backseat of the car out in the parking lot. Yeah. And I don't know, it just stuck, it just stuck with us. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when somebody cuts you off and you, when you're driving, or just like is a jerk to you, you don't really understand, like you just don't know like what they're going through and the energy they have to be tolerant of the situation they're in. And, mm-hmm. and having grace for people feels better it makes your life better so when i'm nice to somebody it makes my life better yeah so and i think going through that experience definitely like again kind of really lodged that idea in me yeah so do i practice it every day probably not (laughs) probably should more but you're not perfect yet um, very close (laughs) so you had you had asked if it's difficult being around mm. toddlers, other kids, and for a while it very much was. And uh, acquaintance of me and Ashley's back when we lived in Atlanta, um, they had a daughter, their firstborn as well. Daughter was born the day before Skylar. Okay. And so basically, since through Skylar's life after her death, and really to this very day, um, we've had a very accurate marker of what our lives could be like right. with if Skylar had passed away. Mm. And most of the time it's like, like I mentioned, it's, we have a lot of joy and thanks mm-hmm. for them. And they're amazing parents and mm-hmm. they like do awesome things with their kids. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I love this guy. He's a great guy, but, but then sometimes it just stings. Mm-hmm. It stings to see this, like, you know, girl turn into like a young adult mm-hmm. Um, and just grow up and develop a personality and it hurts to not have that experience Mm -hmm. of my own as a father. Mm -hmm. So I, I remember like doing that thing we shouldn't do and comparing our lives on Instagram with this person. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned it to Ashley, just like, you know, it just kills me that he posts so many photos. Like I, I love that he loves his daughter, but it kills me that there's so many posts on Instagram Mm -hmm. of this. And Ashley was quiet for a second, and she was like, yeah, but you know that he lost his brother, mm. like, six, seven, eight years ago. Mm. And I thought about it, I was like, I am my brother, and I love my brother so much. We're best friends, and we love doing stuff together. And it's like, it just, it was amazing that Ashley noticed that and pointed that out, because it's a complete reciprocal. Yep. Um, that I'm sure he looks at my Instagram posts of my brother and I climbing mountains and mm-hmm. going running and just hanging out together, drinking beers. And, mm-hmm. and like, they were very, very close and he doesn't have his brother anymore. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were literally two years apart. Like my brother and I are. And mm. Yeah. It was a really good lesson for me to like be thankful for what I had yeah. and just recognize again, like we, you just don't know what other people have experienced right. and, we just happen to know that this, you know, this reciprocal occurrence is That's happening. That's so fascinating. Yeah. That is absolutely fascinating. 
that you would have such parallel um, lives, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, I, I find that even this, it's, it's, we still don't quite have the language without being trite, you know, to say like, you know, be grateful for what you have. Like it, cause it, it is, it's the, it's a deep, deep truth. And yet so hard to feel and practice. It's hard to pay attention and, and redirect your attention, you know, from feeling a lack or feeling what you don't have. It's, it takes quite a bit of like, I don't know, like mental inertia or something to be like, no, I'm going to change where I'm That's why we have these like rituals and practices yeah. and mm. or mantras or even like religions, I think a lot. Yes. Like, that's why we have these things. These things are hard and they take practice and yeah. they yeah. take building habits and mm-hmm. it takes community in those to mm-hmm. reinforce those. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's why we have art. Right. Right. So has this, has the experience of losing your daughter, has that changed any of your perspectives on a spiritual level? Or I, I don't know if you have a religious practice or has any of that changed for you? I'm not sure. It's definitely like forced me to reconcile the thing. Just it's forced me to be real about the things that rituals and practices I've just been going through that don't really have much of a meaning. I think mm-hmm. maybe it hasn't forced me. Maybe it just like catalyzed that. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly don't think the event that event of Skylar passing away has like changed it so much as I think going through hard times just shakes off a lot of the BS you have on your life that is just kind of there that you don't really think or act on, think about or act on. And so I think I've shaken off a lot of things that don't make sense mm-hmm. about life and mm-hmm. just really like been okay with the mysteries of life. Mm. Yeah. More, maybe more okay. I wouldn't say I'm completely okay. I'm not sure, sure it's possible, but sure. Just acknowledging that, like, we don't have all the answers, and mm-hmm. pursue what feels right and what you can determine to be right. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. And that's the best we can do to some I, degree. Yeah. It, yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah. Do you? What do you? What do you believe about death? Where? Where do you think Skylar has gone? Where does she exist anymore? And if she does, what in what form? Oh man. Um, and I don't know is a perfectly acceptable answer, but I'm just curious. Yeah. You're... <laughs> no, no, I know. <laughs> Couldn't possibly know, obviously. Um, yeah, it's like so. I was raised in the Christian tradition, and you know, as Christians believe that we'll see all our loved ones again. Um, and there's varying degrees of what that'll look like within the Christian faith. But I love that idea. I hope that happens. Am I sure of that? No, not mm. even close. Mm. It's a lovely idea. Uh, I think there's a, there's really not a ton of evidence for that. There's not necessarily a ton of evidence against that either. So at the end of the day, it, I, I really just sit with the like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It would be lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't change too much of my day-to-day actions and beliefs. Sure. Yeah, and I would think I think that would probably upset a lot of people that are in the Christian tradition. Right. Um, people who are would say they're so sure of certain things. I can't say I feel the same way. Yeah, I really like some of the Socratic thought on 
on like definitions of things, I guess, just sort of a very old school approach to asking questions, which was um, that I don't know is often the best answer because the, the deeper you dig into what you think you know, the more we realize that we don't know or don't have control over. And so Absolutely. I think that I think that's a really good place to be. But that's my perspective. And obviously, there are wise, wise people out there in the world that know a lot more than I do. Yeah. I don't think too many of them would say they have the answers. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Just guessing. Yeah. <laughs> so were you there at the moment that Skylar died? Yeah. Can you describe, like, maybe the scene, who, who was there and, and what that was like? We wanted to take advantage of the interventions that we had because it is, you know, the current time and we have certain technologies that improve our lives and lengthen lives. And we wanted to adopt the ones that made sense that would allow us more time with her, but also respect the natural way of things. Mm -hmm. And so we had picked a certain point and when we reached that point, it was like, you know, just very matter of factly, we've, we've reached the point. And so we had hospice involved, um, basically trying to make Skylar as comfortable as possible. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, she was at the point where she couldn't breathe on her own anymore. And so when that point was reached, we basically, you know, we had, um, she, so she was at home, um, and we had our pediatrician we were, we were really close to was with us there. Our pastor that the church we went to at the time was with us and just Ash and I and then uh, a hospice nurse to just monitor the process and we um, took her off her BiPAP and just held her until, mm -hmm. um, until she took her last breath. Mm -hmm. And was there, or was there anything said leading up to those moments or during or afterwards? Nothing that stands out. It was just like, just the weight of what was hap what was about to happen, mm -hmm. what was happening, and what had just happened was mm -hmm. so heavy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's people that work in the medical profession, and maybe this is a more common thing, but I would say in general, it's not really a common moment to be with somebody in that exact time of their life that they're exiting the world essentially and i just read stories and had experiences personally like the moment of death is a really unknown wild magical like way bigger than ourselves type of moment and i even just the way you're talking about it it's just such a tender vulnerable time and space it's just yeah so I don't know if any of that resonates with you but I think yeah at the time I wasn't feeling any of that mm -hmm. um, I think thinking back on that sure absolutely it's yeah. it's a it is a very wild unknown thing mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a wild moment and being present when we experience the last breath mm -hmm. of not only someone but Daughter, mm -hmm. like someone we love so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just the the wonder of like what that is and mm -hmm. what happens, and it brings all of the classical questions of existence mm -hmm. 
just raining down on you. <laughs> like, what does this all mean? Why are we here? And I don't think you can help but think those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it is wild. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to think of it as. It's I mean, still to this day, it's hard to think of them in like with a smile. It's not something I want to smile at necessarily because it's still it's still painful. It's still really really painful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm not one to use words like magical, sure. but certainly like yeah. just because I see that as a as like I would use that word a and smile. Yeah, <laughs> okay. and it's like it's uh it still feels wild and out of control yeah. in a way that I'm not sure I like. Yeah. And that and I think that's because of you know who it was that passed. Um, I think I would feel that towards my like my wily grandmother who just passed away last mm. year who like she was 80s 86 I think she was mm-hmm. and just she was full spirited and like down to the end and, mm-hmm. and I wasn't there when she passed but my mom was and I think she might describe that process more in that way sure um, still just as wild and out of control but maybe like maybe magical something crazy and special yeah 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 and I hope I didn't offend you by saying that I I think when I use that word I think of it more as like something I don't understand and so I'm just going to label it as magic because yeah (laughs) you can watch too many Disney movies (laughs) (laughs) if it's not science it's magic so (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that you said it's still not something you say with a smile and it's still painful and hard because I don't think there is a timeline or, I mean, we don't get over these things. It's no. not like, oh, yeah, after about three years, like, I moved on. You know, I just, I think that sets up really unfair expectations for us to to move on. Or, yeah, life absolutely resumes. Sure. And the the weight and the, the I would say, like, the sting of it. Mm-hmm. Um the intensity gradually goes away and the duration between those mm-hmm. things goes gets mm-hmm. longer and longer, but it's not uncommon for me to just like out of the blue have this flashback memory of her taking her last breath mm-hmm. like it was an hour ago. Mm-hmm. And it will like put you on your knees. Mm-hmm. It's really tough. Well, I am so grateful that you're open to talking about it. And I really appreciate you being so so honest and vulnerable because it's not an easy thing to talk about and i'm grateful absolutely thanks for having me and it's it feels it's not easy to talk about but it feels good and right to talk about it yeah and so i'm glad you're having these conversations perfect yeah i think we can all benefit from talking and thinking about and sharing sharing more of our experiences is there anything else that you want to say or share or tell people? Read some Huckleberry. I can't think of like very specific things. I didn't have like any specific mantra that got me through the day or any psalm that I would read on a daily basis or anything. I think it's really important to determine or really just to know whether you're going through the loss of somebody you're just going through life in general, I think it's a good thing to know what your body needs to take mm-hmm. care of yourself. I think mm-hmm. self-care is a really mm-hmm. important thing. And I think 
especially during stressful times, especially during ultra stressful times of losing a loved one, giving yourself, you're going to need extra time to take care of yourself. Uh, You are going to be low on energy. And I think to varying degrees, we did that. I think in some areas we were really good about doing that. In other areas, we could definitely have done a lot better at the time. I certainly could have. But I think for me, that's spending time outside, spending time with the people I trust, uh, being quiet, being outside, uh, and just giving myself that space, giving myself the grace to take that time, mm-hmm. I think is really important mm-hmm. during those times. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great point. I'm really glad that you said that because I think we're often taught inadvertently that self-care is selfish and stating our needs is selfish. And obviously there's a balance to that. Like people can be selfish, but um, I think that's, that's often not like a scene as okay or a good thing is to be like, you know what I need? I need to not talk to people right now or, and even just to, to, not that anybody else would shun us for that, but just it, we don't give ourselves permission. Yeah. You know, like, I need a bath. <laughs> yeah. I need a really good meal. I need to I need, sleep. Yeah. I need to go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All those things. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's great. I think it's great advice in general. And especially like I just want to say one more thing which is that I am not an expert. I'm not here to tell people how to grieve or heal or what death is or isn't. My main goal with this project is simply to create space for us to share our stories about death and dying. And from that collective experience, enable all of us to feel less alone in facing the challenges of grief and loss. Thank you for listening, for being brave and vulnerable and for your time. Any questions or comments, please get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you and perhaps share your story too.